Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Stay tuned. Today's podcast is a follow-up to my blog post, Seven Validations Using the Data from the IRSW9 Forum that I published on my website Thursday, December 13th, and my website is DeborahRRichardson.com. Today, I'm going to talk about validations that are recommended for the data on invoices, banking forms, slash letterhead, contracts, SOWs, and emails. At the end, I will share with you how you can get your own free vendor validation reference list with resource links that you can share with your team and put up in your office or cubicle as a quick reference. Before we get started with the podcast, I did want to tell you about a scam that the FTC Federal Trade Commission reported on Friday, December 14th in an article on their website. The article is called Cybersecurity for Small Business Tech Support Scams. Scammers are calling and pretending to be from a well-known, that's air quotes, well-known computer company with confusing tech talk all to convince the employee that it's an urgent situation. But what they're really trying to do is get remote access to steal sensitive data or trick your employee to signing up for maintenance or warranty work with a business credit card. I'll put a link to the FTC article on their site. There is more information in addition to how the scam works. They talk about how to protect your business and then also what to do if you're scammed. So I will put a link to that article in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about validations. Validation is the second step in my three-step vendor setup and maintenance process to protect the vendor master file from fraud. The first step is authentication where the vendor data source or delivery method is confirmed. The second step is validation and validation confirms the vendor data is accurate before it is entered into the vendor master file. The third step is management, which is proactive revalidation or inactivation of existing vendor data in the vendor master file. And so this complete process, authentication, validation, and management reduces the potential for fraud in the vendor master file, and it also keeps it clean. Validation is an important step. This step verifies that new vendors are real and that changes to existing vendor data is coming from the vendor. In order for this to be done, you need to know what you can validate and where. 
My blog post, Seven Validations Using the Data from the IRSW9 Forum, listed seven recommended validations for the legal name and tax ID and also for the address. Here are my validation recommendations for the invoice, banking form slash bank letterhead for bank details, contract or SOW, and the vendor's email. So let's get started with the vendor invoice. So the first thing we can check is the legal name. The W-9 may not have listed the disregarded entity or DBA, but the invoice may have the DBA. And as you know, the invoice name needs to match the vendor record. So if there is a DBA, we need to make sure that it is included on the vendor record. Most accounting systems or ERP have a separate field that can be used for the DBA that is separate from the legal name. Now, just to be sure, especially since it was not included on the W-9, you want to make sure that the DBA name is valid and that it is a disregarded entity of the legal name included on the W-9. So you'll want to reach back out to the vendor to verify that. It also can be included on the contract or SOW. So if you have either one of those, which we'll talk about later, you can verify it that way as well. Okay, the next thing from the invoice is the remit address. Now the remit address could be different than the W-9 address and you'll want to verify that with the USPS, uh, United States Postal Service, or the Universal Postal Union for non-US to non-US mail. If that remit address is different than the W-9 address, you'll want to go ahead and add it to the vendor record if the address is valid. And I said add to, but those who have SAP that use the partnership function, you know you'll want to create either the remit to or the child vendor and then partner it with the buy from or the parent vendor. So the next one is banking details. And in my experience, only international vendors include banking on their invoices, but it can be included by some non-U.S. domestic vendors as well. I won't go into detail here, but listen below when I talk about the uh, banking form or the banking letterhead, and I'll talk about how to validate those banking details. So let's talk about taxes next. Some vendors will include their IRS tax ID on the invoice. Verify that it matches the tax ID on the W-9 and also on the vendor record, but how to validate using that tax ID is included on the information from my blog post on W-9s. So I won't go into that here, but I will go into the VAT number because international vendors will include their VAT number on invoices. Now the value added tax number is an international country level sales tax that your company's tax team may need to use to reclaim that tax from the invoices that were paid. So you do want to verify that the number is valid against the VAT information exchange system or what they call VIs. And you do that on the European Commission site. And that link will be included on the resource for vendor validations. 
Now the next piece of information that could be included on the invoice is the remit email address. And as you know, this information is key to the accounts payable group receiving, you know, less emails or less inquiries regarding how to apply payments. So it's really to our advantage that we add this information to the vendor record so that remittance information can be sent automatically when the payment is generated. Verify that the domain name of the remit email address matches the domain name of the vendor and add it to your vendor record. The last pieces of information that's valuable to the vendor record is the contact name and contact email address, which is separate from the remit email address. You want to have a separate contact name and a separate email address on hand for separate confirmations. Check out my blog post, send a notification to vendors after updates in the vendor master file for why collecting the contact name and contact email address is key to reducing fraud in the vendor master file. And I will have a link to that blog post in the show notes. So that's it for the invoice. We had the legal name, the remit address, banking information, the VAT number, the remit email address, and also the contact name slash contact email address. So let's move on to the banking form or the banking letterhead. The first validation is the bank routing number or the ABA number. And really there are two validations here. One, you want to verify that that number is valid because sometimes the vendor does fat finger that number and will submit it. So you want to verify that it's valid. And then the second thing you want to do is you want to verify whether that number is for ACH or wires. Some banks separate the routing number for and ACH or for a wire and some banks it's the same it just depends you can verify both that it is a valid routing ABA number and whether it's for an ACH or wire with the Federal Reserve website the next is the international business identifier code or Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication Code otherwise known as BIC and SWIFT codes. So non-US countries that do not require an IBAN will have a BIC code or a SWIFT code along with a bank number. And SWIFT has a site where you can verify both. So now that we verified the numbers associated with the vendor's bank, let's take a look at what is available to verify the vendor's bank account name and bank account number. Let's start first with the IBAN. The IBAN is required for all banks in the EU countries plus Norway, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, and Hungary at the time of this recording. And it's made up of a code that identifies the country the account belongs to, the account holder's bank, and the account number itself. Now, while there's no way to verify the entire combination, because you can't verify at this time the bank account number, you can verify that the formatting of the IBAN that is submitted is valid. 
Now to verify that the format of the IBAN is valid for the vendor's country, you can certainly do a Google search. I have found though that the results can be varying because some of that uh, information for the bank may not be the most up to date, but there are free sites out there that you can find via Google search that can provide a validation for the IBANs. My recommendation for a free resource is to contact the vendor's bank and have them validate the format of the IBAN. They won't be able to validate the bank account number, but they can validate the codes that, are, that relate to the country and also to their bank. Now, there are some paid subscription services out there like Acuity that offer validation for bank routing numbers, for IBANs, for SWIFT and BIT codes. But again, that is a paid subscription. Which brings me to the last pieces of this section for banking, which is the bank account name and the bank account number. And until recently, we didn't have a way to validate that the bank account name and the bank account number matched for the vendor. But there is a way now, and it's called the early warning system. It is only for U.S. or domestic accounts, but with this paid service, your vendor's bank account name and bank account number can be matched against bank records. And this is an exciting option because it does provide protection against fraud in the vendor master file. Okay, so that's it for the banking form or the banking letterhead. We talked about the bank routing number or the ABA. We talked about the SWIFT or the BIC code. We also talked about the IBAN and we talked about a relatively new service to match the vendor bank account name and the vendor bank account number against U.S. banks. So next, let's talk about the contract or the statement of work or SAL. They will include the affected parties, so you can verify that the legal name matches the legal name on the W-9 received or the vendor record. Some will include the vendor's tax ID, and if so, again, verify that against the W-9 or the vendor record. So the next pieces of information can be critical or key to have on your vendor record in the vendor master file because it could help out your procurement or your sourcing departments. And that is the contract number and then also the start and the end dates of that contract. This information can be used when pulling reports from the accounting system or the ERP for vendor management or vendor rationalization initiatives by sourcing and procurement. The next piece of information that can come from the contractor or the SAO is the payment terms. Now the payment terms, just like the contract number and the start and end date of the contract, um, is not something that can be validated externally. However, if there are contracted payment terms, it is key to include those on the vendor record to make sure that you are paying invoices within the agreed upon time period. The next pieces of information is information that I've already talked about under the invoice section, and that is the remit address, the remit email address, the contact name and the contact email address, 
So please refer back to the invoice section for how to handle, validate, or add that information to the vendor record. Keep in mind that the contract or SLW may include additional information that is not included on the invoice, such as different contact names or email addresses. So if you have both a contract or SOW and an invoice, be sure to check them both. Okay, so that's it for the contract or the SOW. We talked about the legal name and tax ID, the contract number and start end date, as well as payment terms, remit address, remit email address, and contact name and contact email address. Now, the last thing we want to talk about is the vendor's email. Now, you may not always receive the vendor's email when you receive the request to add a vendor to the vendor master file or to change an existing vendor's data, but you do want to ask for it because if you didn't receive the supporting documentation from the vendor directly, if that information came from an internal requester, you want to verify that they did not receive that email or that supporting documentation fraudulently. So the first thing you want to double check is the domain name from the email. If you've received the email electronically, hover over the sender's email and email address to verify that the hover name matches what's shown in the email. And be careful with this, look diligently. There have been instances where they have changed one letter in the email address and unless you're looking at it carefully, you can miss it. Once you have verified the vendor's email domain name, Check other sections of the email again to ensure that this is not a fraudulent email. So here are some things that you can check that have in the past been associated with phishing or fraudulent emails. The first thing is the email domain does not match the company in the email signature. So just compare those two sections to make sure that information matches. The next thing is if the email includes a link to a PDF, so perhaps the supporting documentation was included in this email, just hover over that link just to make sure that the link matches where the email indicated the link should go to. And this can be key because accounts payable receiving supporting documentation, it can be in a PDF and a PDF link is what fishers use to hide links to um, fraudulent sites. So just because something says a link says it's .pdf, in some cases for fraudulent emails, it can actually go to a fraudulent site and not a PDF file, which is another reason you don't just click on links before checking them. The last thing to check are grammatical errors, but it's not the hole in one that it used to be. Our frosters or fishers are getting very intelligent now, so you can't assume that the absence of grammatical errors equals a real vendor email. So once you have authenticated the email and you know that the email is real and it's from the vendor, go ahead and add the contact name and the email address to the vendor record. Take caution with this so I wouldn't add 
at the president, but if it is someone that is the contact of the internal requester or team member, then you can go ahead and add them to the vendor record. And again, as with the contact name and contact email address that can be included on the invoice and on the contract, this is another way to gather emails that can be used for subsequent confirmations. Okay, so that is it with vendor emails where we talked about authentication, validating the domain name, items to look for to ensure the email is not fraudulent, and then also adding contact name and contact email address to the vendor record in the vendor master file. Okay, so that was a lot of information. And when you combine it with the information I gave in the blog post for the IRS W-9 validations, it's really a lot. So as I promised, I'm going to tell you how to get your very own vendor validation reference list with all this information and resource links that you can use as a cheat sheet. You can put it up in your cubicle or desk area. You can share it with others. All you need to do is go to DeborahRRichardson.com, scroll to the bottom at the end of the page, you can enter in your email address and once subscribed, you will receive instructions for how to download. I will also put a link in the show notes. Thanks everyone. And I hope you enjoyed the ninth episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to the blog posts, seven validations using the data from the IRS W-9 form, and send a notification to vendors after updates in the vendor master file that I mentioned during the podcast, and also the link to my site to get your vendor validation reference list with resource links. If you enjoyed this episode, consider purchasing my e-guide and online courses for vendor master file training that consists of authentication, validation, and management as part of a three-step vendor setup and maintenance process to protect the vendor master file from fraud and keep it clean. Visit DeborahRRichardson.com forward slash training for more details. Stay happy.